what you're about to hear is unsupervised. Welcome in to another episode of Unsupervised here in the 2018-19 season. I believe this is the first one of the new calendar year, so happy new year to all of our listeners. I'm Jake Reiser. I'm joined here this evening by Sean Ferris. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jake. How are you? I'm doing good. It's nice to start off the new year right with you guys. We're also here with head honcho managing editor Dan Ryan. Dan, how's your evening going? Oh, it's fantastic. I'm glad Before to hear. Before we start, we should all we should all say happy birthday to Sean. Happy birthday, Sean. That's right. It's what are you, twenty one now? The big two ones can finally drink legally yep. in America. Twenty one, yeah. Legally in America now. Well done. You finally made it. Come <laughs> come down to New York, come down to Boston, have a beer at some point. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna jump right into it. We're at about the halfway point of the season, so this episode is gonna be focused on mid-season awards we've got a few of them that we're gonna run down and we might as well get started right away uh mid-season mvp who is the person that has carried this team the furthest for you guys this season so far uh, i think uh the easy answer is david Pasternak, and i don't really think i think it would be i think the player who's played the best has been bergeron um but obviously he was out so i guess that kind of like that takes you out of the race there, like with the most valuable player, but he did miss some significant time so far. So I'm going to go with David Pasternak. I mean, he's just been scoring. He's like one of the few players that could score at even strength. He's been like their biggest weapon on the power play. Um, he at five on five, his penalty differential is 13. So he's drawn 13 more penalties than he's taken. And the next best Bruin is, is six. And I think sometimes that gets that gets caught a lot of the times. You know, drawing penalties is a huge asset, especially when your power play is as good as the Bruins. So I think David Pasternak has been has been the most valuable Bruin so far. Yeah, so I was also going Pasternak, but Sean beat me to it, so I'll I'll be different. Um, Bergeron is the the team's MVP for the first half. Um, you could tell. When when he went out, uh, the team didn't fall apart, but you just weren't. They were discombobulated. The team looked different, obviously, when he wasn't on the ice. And as soon as he came back from that injury, it, it almost seemed like the whole thing fell in place. Um, guys knew their roles more. Guys seemed to be playing more relaxed, more confident, almost knowing that that he was going to roll over the boards for his regular point in the next few minutes. So. Um, you know, he can't replace him in, in, in uh, all three zones. He's far and away their best player. So, say, just with that in mind, that while Pasternak is more important to the offense, that Bergeron is the most important player um, to the team. So he gets my nod for first-half MVP. So I was actually going to focus back on the blue line and say Zidane Chara was my MVP for the first half of the season. Um, not to fall back into that trend and mindset of you need someone who's going to be an enforcer on the ice in order to open up space for guys like Pasternak and Marshawn and Bergeron to make plays. But I think there is a little bit of truth in the fact that having an imposing force like Zdeno Char on the ice, it makes opposition defense a little wary to know that, okay, if I go after these guys, I'm going to have someone who's literally towering over me come and probably eat me alive, if not just check me so hard on the boards, I don't know what day it is. 
So I, I think noticeably there was a big difference, even with all the injuries the Bruins have had on the blue line this year, needing Lausanne, Vakaninen, Stephen Kemp, for a lot of the lineup in different places. There's just no guy who brings that intimidation factor like Zdeno Chara does. And as much as the team has certainly been one line as far as forwards, I don't think you could pick wrong between Bergeron or Marchand or Pasternak. I think that Zdeno Chara was my biggest impact player of the season so far. Any thoughts on that? Anybody have any other reactions to anyone else it could be? No, I mean, I don't really see. um, I think like a lot of, a lot of the players are kind of disappointed, which I think is like our next topic to get to anyway. Um, I guess like Nordstrom has been, you can make kind of an argument, or at least I wouldn't make the argument, but I think a lot of people would that he's been an extremely valuable player for them. You know, he's played basically on all four lines at all three different positions. Um, and like, that's extremely valuable thing. So I think Nordstrom might make an argument. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised that like at the end of the year, he somehow got like the seventh player award just because like um, Don Sweeney, like, described him as like a Swiss army knife, like how he can just play in so many different positions um, and up and down the lineup. So I think you can make an argument for Nordstrom. I think that's actually a really good segue into biggest surprise. Would you put Nordstrom more so as your biggest surprise rather than a dark horse MVP candidate? Um, I wouldn't put him as my biggest surprise. I think, um, I'm looking at the line. I'm looking at, I, I guess he could be my biggest surprise. I've also been extremely surprised with Chris Wagner. Um, I felt like he's he's been somewhat effective as a fourth liner. He's real he's real awful. Well, yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, I, I I thought when he was coming from Anaheim and and just like knowing his career, like kind of coming in, like I thought he was really kind of a fringe NHLer at best, and I think he's played quite well at least like for my expectations like so I think Chris Wagner's kind of been like my biggest surprise or just like the fourth line as a whole because I think the fourth line although they haven't like produced like the fourth line is last uh, like last year um I think the fourth line's been terrific with Corrali um Wagner's usually down there and then like they've kind of rotated in Achari Nordstrom Bacchus I think like for the most part like their fourth lines have been extremely effective and that's kind of like if we're gonna like say as a whole, like I think the fourth line being good it was kind of a surprise where I thought it would be kind of a weaker point for the Bruins this year. Well, especially lately too, that that fourth line, well, two or three weeks maybe, seems like they've they've made a significant impact on almost every. I know in the Winter Classic. Line well, the other night, I mean, stood the other night Wagner scored i mean he had that goal called back like so some might refer to it as two goals and then bacchus who was playing up in the lineup but he had been you know playing down in the lineup and played fourth line for a significant time scored the other goal um yeah like corrali kind of got hot i guess like at least for a fourth liner in december um and wagner's kind of been on that path too i think I think that's interesting you guys bring up the fourth line because they were going to be my surprise as well. But I was going to talk about some other personnel, not in the best light as a surprise. I think 
looking at prospects who we thought could have fit on the fourth line, Ryan Donato, Jacob Forsback and Carlson, um, Andrews Bjork. I think it's really surprising to see their lack of development over the course of the year. I thought this was going to be the time that we would see those young guys come together. They'd compete even for a top six spot, let alone a spot on the fourth line. But none of them have been really playing. Donato as of late, probably, but not, none of them have really impressed me enough to even merit time on the ice thus far. And that's my biggest surprise and, I guess, biggest disappointment so far. Yeah, I mean, I thought Donato oh. could... You can go ahead, Dan. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I don't know what you were going to say about Donato, Sean, but he was going to be my biggest surprise in that. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't, it seems like it hasn't come together for him yet. And he, I mean, he was kind of, at least for, from my perspective, it seemed like most people penciled into a top six spot before the season started based, you know, I guess on, the strength of expectations and maybe a few games last year, but he just, it, it comes and goes with him. It seems like he has games where he's all over the place, but then he has games where I, I don't remember which game it was a game. I, I was convinced he didn't play uh, and then found out after the game that he didn't back play. So I am, might speak more to how closely I was paying attention. Just, it, it almost seems like maybe, could be an issue with expectations, whereas going into the season, some people just thought he was, you know, all right, well, he'll step into second line right wing, for example, and he'll score 20 goals and everything will be great. And it just hasn't quite happened like that. doesn't necessarily make, you know, a disappointment uh, or at least not a big disappointment because he's still young. He still is first full season in the league, but I'm just surprised that it, it's kind of taken him so long to get going. And you could argue he hasn't gotten going at all yet. So he would be surprising to me in that just that it hasn't quite happened for him yet. Yeah, I mean, I thought Donato would have ended up on the uh, second line with Krejci just because I thought the play style really kind of mixes, um, and especially with, like, DeBrusque on the other side. You know, Donato's a guy who, like, at least in the offensive zone, he really competes to get pucks back and, and he's willing to kind of get to the dirtier areas, even though he's, you know, sort of a skilled guy and DeBrusque is like the same way. Whereas, you know, Krejci kind of, you know, he just dishes, he delivers the puck. Um, so I thought Donato would have really fit well. And they tried that um, to start the season. Um, although Heinen kind of rotated in there and it was like very disappointing to me to like, I think the defensive concerns are, you know, like Bruce is definitely right in that. And I didn't think it was going to be as big of a deal. I felt, you know, possibly he could have come into the season, watched a lot of tape over the summer. Like he knew that he could make the jump and I thought he'd be able to make the jump. He certainly has the talent to be at the NHL level, but there's definitely defensive concerns. And I think, um, I don't really watch too much college hockey, but from my understanding, he played center, um, which he's not going to be a center in this league. So perhaps he's having difficulty kind of transitioning to the wing. Uh, some people do. I mean, uh, there's kind of like some talk that like JFK hasn't been as good when he's on the wing. Um, and he's a guy like that prefers to be in the center of the ice. So I don't know what exactly is kind of causing this lack of development. And then Bjork being sent down to Providence was like huge to me because I thought Bjork definitely had like the skills 
to be on the roster. I thought he played really well last season um, when he was playing with Bergeron and Marshawn, although it's not very hard to play well with them. Um, but I thought he was a guy who can kind of stick up there and him being sent down to Providence and unless there's forward injuries, I don't really see a world in him really coming back up. Um, so that was a huge surprise. And that definitely like um, brings down his trade value too. If you're going to try to use him in, in some kind of deadline deal, uh, the concern that Bjork is, he's what, 23 or 24? Like he's supposed to kind of be around his prime years and he's having trouble getting into a uh, NHL spot. So I don't know, that was really disappointing. I guess the young guys as a whole. Well, no, yeah, none of them. That, that was the whole thing going into the season was someone, someone was supposed to step up and, and spot, whether it was third line center or second line right wing or whatever it was someone was supposed to you know seize the opportunity grab that spot and run with it and I guess it's probably in in, in human nature for fans to overrate their prospects but it, you looked at who they had on uh, as options you're like oh yeah one of them will do it whether it's JFK or whether it's Frederick or even Studnicka or Bjork or, or Solarek or one of them and just no one, no one has really kind of stepped up and said, yes, this mind. And Bjork is one who, because I'm stupid, I left him out of the prospect rankings that we did over the summer and realized it's too late. So <laughs> out as like an editor's note that, yeah, no, I, I assume that he's on the roster. So he graduated from prospect status and here we are in, He's been in Providence for half the season, so I, I would agree with him. I mean, I don't know what he's a good player, and like you said, had flashes last year before he got hurt, where he was, he fit well on that line. And if you could pencil him on that first line, bump posture, knock down to the second, all of a sudden. But I don't know. I don't know. Like you said, Sean, if there's a if there's a scenario where he comes back this season to the NHL there could be if they move someone else in a trade and bring him up to fill a spot but he certainly hasn't seized the day so to speak he's kind of let the opportunity go by and now he's riding the bus in the AHL as a result so Sean you talked about be uh, having Bjork in the AHL diminishing his trade value of those three guys. Who do you think has the most trade value at this point? Of Donato Bjork and who else are we talking about? JFK. Okay, so JFK. Um, I'd say Donato probably has the most trade value. Uh, yeah, I'd say Donato just because um, I think he has the highest. He has the most talent. Like his shot is very good. Um, he definitely competes for pucks really well. Like, I think he's still, he's a strong offensive presence. Like at the NHL level, he's, he's still a good offensive presence. He's on the first power play or he's had rotations into the first power play unit. I kind of feel like, like we haven't like solidified exactly who that fourth person is yet. Um, but you know, he's, he's put on the first power play unit and like, that's for a reason. Like he has you know, top six NHL skills. It's just a matter of 
him fitting into a system, being able to play like properly defensively. And I mean, if you're willing to work with, with him and he's willing, you know, to work hard too, I think it can work. And then, you know, also like most of the, most of the good offensive players in the NHL are like not good defensively, even like, even though like some of them might be given kind of uh, like a two way role, like, a lot of them aren't good defensively. So you just have to kind of take his offensive magic as it is. And you got to put him in the correct role. So I, I think Ryan Donato is, up, is still someone that a lot of teams would, would still want. Well, he has the name recognition too. Like I, I feel like a lot of NHMs, especially like whatever his name is, we forget out in Edmonton, like <laughs> – they're like it's like shiny object syndrome. Well, people in in the league office will remember. Oh, Ryan Donato, he played in the Olympics and he scored a few goals and he went to Harvard. So yeah, we would be happy on the team. Well, and not not that he's not a prospect anymore. He still absolutely has value. But someone like him, to me, almost it doesn't matter as much. He hasn't had a great season because the first thing that you if you're an opposing fan, it's like, oh yeah, I remember hearing about him. He was he, something, right? So there's there's GMs who would probably take him just based solely on the fact that he went to Harvard and scored a goal at the about years, but that's a whole different story. So he's someone who I don't know, but do, do you guys think they would move him already? Like, would it be too soon to give up? I guess the return would be what mattered, but. It seems like they waited so long to get him in the lineup that it might be kind of soon to bail on him already. I think it's too soon, and I think that the Bruins hold him in enough regard where I don't think he actually becomes a part of any trade puzzle. I think that you're not wrong that Donato's trade value is the highest of the three guys, but I think that Bjork so far has proven to be the most expendable, so... As tough as it would be to get rid of a guy who has such a high ceiling, in my opinion, I think that Bjork would be the first one to go. And you're right. It is all about the return that you're going to get. The GM who shall not be named in Edmonton has already shown shiny object syndrome this season when he sent Ryan Strome to New York for Ryan Spooner and has already said, maybe we shouldn't have traded for Ryan Spooner. So you can definitely take advantage of some GMs out there. What? Didn't he already scratch? uh, Did Spooner already get scratched like last week? I'm pretty sure, yes. Yeah, they brought in a defensive coach for, like, a terrible defensive player. <laughs> you kind of knew that was going to happen. Ooh, Paul. I mean – Paul Bearer? What? Ken Hitchcock is Paul Bearer. That's exactly who you look – maybe – oh, you're too young. Are you too young yeah. for the for – I turned 21, Dan. We're, Come on. We're all youngins here. Listen, I'm not that old. I'm not going to feel old because you guys don't know who Paul Bearer is, but yeah. Uh, and, and Ken Hitchcock are not, not going to mix well. We will, I, I we will take your word for it. Um, I, I feel bad for a guy like Ryan Spooner who has now moved to another team where he clearly doesn't have a fit. It, it, it's weird to think that if he finds any fit on any NHL team, what he could do, but it's three teams now. Strike three, and you're out. Maybe. No, I mean, I thought. I mean, I thought it was a fit for him in Boston. Like I thought last year, he played terrific. 
with Krejci, like as like who's someone who can kind of like allow him to play his offensive game because he, I guess it's kind of like Donato, but it's just different. They're two completely different play styles. But like Ryan is definitely like a one-dimensional offensive, truly gifted player when it comes to that. He just didn't have like the other side of his game. And then like the salary, he gets paid like $4 million now. I mean, you couldn't chase that salary. He had like a career year in points. Um, so like the contract doesn't fit. Like we had this conversation in our, in our Slack, um, you know, like the contracts kind of like the biggest thing that hurts. I think he can find, um, a fit on an NHL team, but I don't know. He might be, uh, I don't know. I don't know where he's, he'd exactly fit. I mean, you just kind of flip a coin to figure that out. You got to put players like Donato and like, um, Spooner who are, you know, sort of one-dimensional in the right situations, too, to be able to succeed. And I haven't really followed his time in New York and Edmonton much because I don't want to watch those two teams if I don't have to. Um, But I can guess that they probably weren't put into, like, the best situations. So then let's move on. He'll go back. He'll Ottawa. Go back home. He'll go back home to Ottawa. He always seems to play well in Ottawa, and they. I mean, yeah, they're. I mean, they're also a team in a bad situation who could, um, maybe bring him in, and if he starts playing well, he all of a sudden has you know renter rental value next year, you know, at the trade deadline. If you can get him back up to 40, 50 points, um you know, still being that one dimensional player, but if you can, if you can get him to score some points, some team will bite on him at the, uh, at the trade deadline. And if you feel that you could put him in a situation that he can score points, like on the first line, then, um, then you could possibly kind of win that trade. So then that's kind of transit. I would imagine he ends up in Ottawa. If he ends up in, ends up in Ottawa after being in Edmonton this year. It's like a tour of Canadian misery. <laughs> Two worst. worst. Does he have to make a stop in Vancouver too to see Jim Benning for all time's sake? Nobody wants. But I feel like I, I know Edmonton has McDavid and they'll they'll hang around just with him. But I don't know. I feel like Vancouver at least there's like some hope. Bill Benning does something nuts like trades Pedersen for like a gritty defenseman or something but I don't mean at least they they have some hope there's look at poor Ottawa I I just feel bad for Ottawa in general that that franchise is a complete mess we'll move we can move on Ottawa certainly needs a revamp from the top down we're lucky that the Bruins aren't in this situation but that's a good kind of jumping point or jumping off point for us to get into biggest need uh, who is the player that you think is going to help align this roster so it plays as successfully as it can? What do they need going into the second half of the season to keep them in the playoff picture? Is everybody just going to say third line center? All you. you I mean, you can take it. I mean, that's the that's just such the easy route, but I don't know. I guess what other route to take? I I. The problem with the third line center argument, or not that there's a problem, because I, I do think that there's probably a need, although I do feel that Sean Corrali could 
uh, still fit into that role. Um, but like the problem is, is it's just going to cost so much. Like there's like rumors of like, um, or there's possibility of like Kevin Hayes, for instance. And my boy, yeah, I'm in Dorchester, yeah. But um, but like that's going to cost you. They're saying like somewhere around a first round pick, which I wouldn't really want to give up for Kevin Hayes. Charlie Coyle's like another player who's like, yeah, he could fit on the third line, but he's gonna cost he's gonna cost more than he's actually gonna be worth at the deadline if so. And then also like Minnesota's, I don't know where they are in the standings. Um, they're in a tough central, but they're still a pretty good team. Um, so maybe they're in on a wild card. So I don't really think that like they're gonna be in too much of a selling position. And it's gonna that might affect how um, Charlie Coyle's um, trade value will kind of come up. So, I mean, I think the need is a third line center. The problem is going to be the cost. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would say that the need is there for a third line center. The need is still there for an, uh, maybe legitimate, bona fide second line right wing too. But I'll be a little bit more realistic, I guess, and say that the biggest need for them going forward is for all of these injuries to stop. It's just like if they could, they've had, there was the stat the other day or the, or the tweet someone had that it was like, like Krug, McAvoy, Chara, or something. They haven't had all of them in the lineup at all yet this season. Um, or, or I might be getting the guys wrong, but it was something like, Oh, that sounds about right because really- crew was out for every game, but I think they played Carolina on the 31st of October. He was out like most of October. And then yeah, so someone had to be out by that point. So yeah, that sounds about right. It illustrates the point that you have to stop and think, well, was it all of them or was there someone else too who was out? Because that's how ridiculous it's been. And I mean, I don't know. I, I think that they're another Bergeron injury away from being completely screwed. Um, or, you know, if, if Chara is close to what he can be, they're in trouble. And I, I shouldn't say this out loud, but God forbid David Pasternak stops playing a single game of every season they're in big trouble. So if, if the injuries don't stop and I know I say that knowing that there's really no way of preventing, but it would be nice just to have this team ice its full roster for, you know, let's give it like two or three weeks straight without a catastrophic injury and see what they can do. Because like you said, Sean, about acquiring a coil or Kevin Hayes, who's probably worth maybe three, Picks, but that's the subject for a different podcast. Um, it's I, I, I don't. Does it gonna matter? It is kind of where I'm at with it, and I don't mean to be negative, but I don't. You know, say they get through the first round again this year, or run up against. I would argue that the Bruins right now probably aren't much better than they were last year, and Tampa certainly isn't worse than they were last year. So a third line center and they need a scoring wing for Krejci but part of me wonders if it would be throwing money 
after, you know, another 11 or 12 playoff games and then you crash out in the second round again. So I don't, it's tough to, to say how worth it, it is to that, that big middle piece when on the one hand, they're certainly not as good as Tampa is. And on the other hand, they only have about two or three kicks at the can left with this core, if that. So it's kind of hard to tell. Do you go for it? Do you go out and burn to try to have three, roll three solid lines? Or do you, you know, wait till the off season and see if you can pull someone off the trade market and then just bore next year? It's kind of hard to decide, but that's not my job. I don't know. I think the injuries even kind of work in their favor that, there, I think last year by this time they were just grooving so well and driving and accumulating points after points after points that at some time you have to go back down. When you're so high up, there's nowhere else to go but down. Being in the middle of the pack this year and now having everybody start to kind of hit their groove and hopefully you're right, Jen, everybody stays healthy makes me a lot more optimistic that this team might go a little further. So I would go hard and I would go and get someone who's going to get be a scoring presence. Um I know we don't trust Jamie Murphy rumors, but if Braden, <laughs> if Braden Shen is rumored to be on the Bruins trade list, I wouldn't say no. He already scored a goal tonight in Philadelphia. He's proven himself to be a very, very good NHL for top six forward. I believe he's the top center for the Blues at this moment, but could very easily transition into a wing. Or you could you could flip-flop the top six somehow to incorporate him. But I think Shen would be a better piece than getting Rick Nash was last year for sure. And I think it would help them get at least another round in the playoffs if they can get there. Yeah, I mean, my article on Saturday, somehow, like, the comment section ended up into, like, a whole, like, rumor mill. So, um, for any of the commenters that are listening to this, um, someone said uh, Mark Stone, and I think like they kind of meant for like free agency. Um, but I think he's, he's a UFA this year, I believe. And if so, like people don't understand this cause he's in Ottawa, I think, but like Mark Stone's a very, very good hockey player. And I think like, if you brought Mark Stone in, this team completely changes. And if you really do feel like you can make a run, although the senators like might not want to give up um yeah he's ufa um they like have some weird thing with with giving players in divisions although like they're completely out of playoffs this year anyway um bringing in mark stone would would completely change this team and now it's it's just a race between tampa and boston and you take toronto right out of it and anybody else in the east in my opinion well and if you're stone like Obviously, money talks, you know. So whoever gives him, but as as a would trade, if he, if they're gonna trade him out nope. because he's definitely not gonna resign and and right, that's, that's what I'm saying. If you're if you're if you're him or if you're Ottawa, he has absolutely no real reason to resign in Ottawa. It's not like they're. I don't. I think that team doesn't even have they're not going up they're not going down they're not rebuilding they don't know what they're doing i don't even know where they're kind of playing i mean everything starts right at the ownership but 
And that's why you guys Alnick, are right. That it's a free makes... agent play. It's not a trade play at this point because you, knowing Ottawa, the price point on any trade uh, by the deadline is going to be through the roof with Melnick and Dorian. So, uh, if do but, you... I mean no, but if if you're, it is a trade play because if you're Ottawa, I mean, I, so maybe it's not a trade because you can assume that Ottawa is too dumb to figure it out. But he's not going to resign there. So they if they if they have. You know, half a brain between the entire front is they have to trade him. If they, if they know he's not going to resign, they have to move him. You can't let that expiring contract just walk away, especially the state of their team. But you're right, Jake, in that the price is probably going to be pretty high, anyways. And then if you're the Bruins, and you're probably going to turn the screws to you, but then it just becomes a question of which which contending team is willing to give up the most for for a tooth of Mark Stone. And if the Bruins aren't the one to do it, somebody will. So, I mean, I hope for I, – maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he would resign there, but I couldn't – why you would. Someone will give you similar money in a, in a market or the franchise that has some idea of what it's doing. So, I – think that they have to move him but I, I admittedly am not super plugged into the Ottawa rumor mill so maybe he likes it there I'm not sure I believe they're losing their top three scorers to UFA at the end of the season I'm going to look this up really quickly as we're going on but it's Mark Stone Matt Duchesne and I keep seeing Ryan Dezingle on the score sheet a lot so that would be my bet as to their top three scores. Stone, Duchesne, Dezingle is four. Thomas Shabbat is number three. But to lose your top three scoring forwards all to free UFA at the end of the season, you're not going to be able to afford to keep all of them. So I think there's a really good play for at least one of them by the offseason this year. Well, I mean, look, they're going to have – well, I can't guarantee this. You – because their cap situation is kind of, kind of weird, but the cap is going to go up. I think they'll have the space to be able to re-sign Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne. I just think there's no way a player is going to want to stay in Ottawa with the current situation, especially after Ubergate. Um, I just don't see a player wanting to stay. And then, like, you have the same thing with Eric Carlson – which is why they traded him away. I mean, they weren't willing to to pay him what he was worth. I mean, if Dowdy got Dowdy got eleven million, I think, and Eric Carlson's better than Drew Dowdy. I mean, so they in we don't know exactly what they offered him, but my guess would have been eight or nine million. Like they really lowballed him, and and he loved being in Ottawa from the sounds of it, and it was a very emotional thing for him, but. Um, yeah, I just don't see them wanting to pay. And then I think this team really kind of gets torn apart if they don't have Stone and they don't have Duchesne. What does that do to the morale of some of your young, the few bright marks you might have with young players, with Brady Kachuk, um, Shabbat, um, Lejoie? So I don't know. It just sounds – it's a terrible situation. It's kind of – it's an awful situation really because I think the team is literally failing like the entire organization, not just like in the case of Edmonton, they have management that keeps destroying the team, but fans keep showing up. I mean, they struggle business wise too. So 
yeah, I don't know. I don't see I don't see Duchesne or Stone resigning, and I think that there's a good chance that they could be traded away by the deadline because I just don't I don't see them um, resigning them. But it would be a very Ottawa thing to do to refuse to pay Eric Carlson and then just sign Matt Duchesne to a ten million dollar contract. Well, they might sign Matt Duchesne because they they gave up Jack Hughes or um or you're, most likely they're going to have – there's going to be a pick in the top three from Ottawa. Or not most likely, but it's very likely. But they're giving up a, a terrific draft pick because they decided to pick Brady Kachuk last year to acquire Matt Duchesne. And they gave up Kyle uh, Terris. So they gave up they gave up a lot in, in that deal to acquire Matt Duchesne, and I don't see him retiring. He was part of the Uber video too. So I don't know – I don't know what goes on between him and, or, and the organization, too. It's, it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, I, it's such a horrible situation to be in. I will, let alone we haven't talked about the arena situation and the misery that's going to LeBret and Flats and the fact that they have no fans coming all the way out to Canada because it's just such an inconvenient place to go. There, every piece of the Ottawa Center just feels like a mess right now. And you're right, it becomes a hard place for people to resign. Um, getting back on track to where the Bruins are at the very least this season, uh, there's one more superlative I want to run through with you guys, and that's the biggest win of the season. Something that either changed momentum or put focus into perspective for what this team really is for you. Um, December 8th against Toronto. Um, let's see. Let me look at the, let me pull up the schedule here to remember. So they lost against the Red Wings on the 1st of December, which was a Saturday. Then they went to Florida for the 4th and the 6th. They lost to the Panthers and the Lightning. So they lost three straight. And going into that game, you know, like, obviously, if you lose, you lost four straight. It was like kind of like a big panic thing. Everybody was like, oh, this is life without Bergeron, blah, blah, blah. And um, obviously, it was a very emotional game. Um, that was the game when um, Zach Hyman took a run at, um, at McAvoy. And then Wagner went after um, it was Morgan Riley. Um so it was like a very emotional game and they beat them 6-3. But it was just kind of like a big – it like put an end to a lot of negativity. And then, I mean, I think almost as important, um, they went to Ottawa the next game and won in overtime. And then they followed that up with another win. So I thought that was kind of like their biggest win to kind of keep them out of a rut and then, you know, keep like their December not horrible. So I'll I'll go with two. One is not really an answer, so then I'll give an actual one. But my, the actual answer would be, and Sean is showing me up because I don't have the date, but would be that Montreal game uh, where John Moore scored. So they blew that. It was a two-goal lead, I believe. Uh, that was the Saturday night game in Montreal, and they played pretty well for most of the game, and then kind of typically just blew a two goal lead going into the third period or in the third period the game was tied and that looked 
that that's they tend they, they they've been lost in Montreal over the past few years and you know more scored they won it was great it was like okay you didn't blow a two goal lead I guess because you ended up winning but uh, I just think that's one that for even just for the base maybe more so for the standings or the players but it's always big to to win one of those games in Montreal but my actual answer I think would be that I don't know that they've had one of those games yet. Um, the Buffalo one uh, last weekend was, it was it? Um, I don't know. I was sick. I don't even know what day it was. <laughs> Whatever that game was, that they won in overtime, that was huge. And then hanging on to that last one against Buffalo was huge. But I just, I feel like if you go back over the past few seasons, past four or five years, there's those games that stand out in every season that kind of becomes like that Dallas Stars game or that, uh, I think it was a Thrashers game. They had a line brawl. There's always one of those games where there's, there's something that happens that kind of galvanizes the whole team and all the whole, the whole fan base gets fired whether it's a, a cheap shot that you recover from or, or there's a bunch of fights or whatever it is. And I'm not even a big, there has to be fights guy. I don't know really either way, but it just seems like they've had one of those games every year for the past few years where it kind of just is made of and things kind of just snowball from there. And I just, I don't know. I, I haven't seen one of those yet this year that really stands up. You know, it's still early January, plenty of time, plenty of interesting games coming up where that can happen. And it always seems for whatever reason to be like game ends up being that one. So like tomorrow where Minnesota's coming to town and Minnesota it, to me is like the team they were still in the league guys. They they seem like they have just these names from like five years ago that are still kicking around, but they, they're a decent team. But it, it, it would just very fitting to have a random game like that where it's like, all right, yeah, I don't know, Minnesota, cool, and comes in and just kind of goes crazy and becomes one of those games. But I think there will be one. There will be one that becomes pretty obvious. It's that game uh, when it happens. And I just – Montreal, the Buffalo overtime, Winter Classic, all that was great, but I still feel like there's probably another one coming that can kind of push the team in the right direction. I don't know. I'm going to go with the Winter Classic on this one. And I know it's a gimmick game and it's starting to feel really kitschy that the Bruins have been in it and the Blackhawks have been in it. Basically, the Boston and Chicago Invitational at this point. But it characterized what I think this Bruins team has to be about over the course of the rest of the season, where you've got your top guys who continue to score. Pasternak with a great goal on the power play. Bergeron with, an aware, with a very aware goal on the power play on his backhand. And then seeing a guy like Sean Corrali come up big late when it mattered, and the fact that they could hold a lead despite needing Tuca to come up and make 36 saves on 38 shots. I think that's the type of game that we're going to see a lot throughout the rest of the season if the roster stays generally the same. So it wasn't the most dominant win, but it, again, it sparked off another uh, few wins. They have won every single game in 2019 thus far. Uh, Minnesota is going to be a good challenge tomorrow. Uh, as we're recording this on Monday night. But I think that the Winter Classic has a good chance to be, okay, this is the one that gets you right back on track. We've got the majority of our forwards in. 
you're really just missing Charlie McAvoy at this point. So the team is basically is what it is. And you can feel confident knowing that this is the game you'll play. Are there, are there any other, ma- I know. Are there any other matchups you guys are looking forward to this season as well? I know we haven't um, faced the Rangers yet. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting matchup having uh, Bostonian David Quinn come back up to his hometown. We haven't gone on what I think generally becomes the biggest indicator for a team in, or at least a Bruins team over the last few years, is that weird West Coast road trip where you do Anaheim, Los Angeles, and San Jose all together. And now you have to throw Vegas into it, and that's coming up in mid-February. Are there any stretches of the season or any matchups you think are going to be most important to look at coming down the line? Um. Yeah, the Pacific trip kind of sucks, eh? It's a Friday, yeah, Saturday, and then Monday. And then you get a day off and go to Vegas. That's yeah, exhausting. That's, yeah, it's going to be You should not be allowed to have those trips when you're on the East Coast and you have to get up for work at 5 in the morning. They should camp and not have those trips anymore. I don't think it's fair. Someone needs to write a letter, an angry letter, <laughs> that all people and can't stay up for those games. You guys are going to have to take those for me because I'll be asleep by the end of the first period. Us young whippersnappers yeah. who have the energy to stay awake until one in the morning at this point. Yeah, Absolutely. I, would, I would say that that stretch of games, yeah, it's probably it's probably going to be like the toughest stretch at least. Those four games, February 15th to the 20th. But then when they come back home, they play St. Louis that Saturday, and then they play the Sharks again at home uh, on the 26th, and then they play the Lightning on the 28th. Um, so, like, I'd, I'd even say, like, those two games are going to be huge um, just because the Sharks are so good and then the Lightning are, are good. Um, I'd say I'd to the end, that second half of the um, are going to be like some really big games. I mean, I'd love to uh, see the Bruins just stomp down on a former BU coach. Um, I always like to see BU get beat. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I don't know. I think I think you're right though with that little with that West Coast trip. That pains my heart to hear because I love David Quinn, but I get where you're coming from, Sean. <laughs> I mean, you could you could be like me and have gone to Suffolk that plays D three hockey, and you never have to one related to your school in the pros. True. So there there are pros and cons to it, but I, I mean, I would say because the the West Coast swings, sir. But you could look at the rest of this month month of January as pretty important because I ideally they're going to be rounding into full health. Uh, whenever McAvoy's day to day to week to week to whatever injury he has is, is back and they'll have their full and then I know from, from putting in the press request for this month that it seems like there's like eight home games and so they have a chance to to kind of make some hay here at home and they've been pretty good at home um, this season so a kind of an up and down December, um, bunch of injuries, which is kind of un- uneven season so far. And if they could, like you said, Jake, they're on a bit of a mini roll now since the calendar flipped to 2019. And 
they have all these home games coming up, some against not so good teams where if they can go on a, you know, eight and two stretch or, you know, something like that, all of a sudden they could maybe put some distance themselves in, in Buffalo and even Montreal, though I have my doubts that Buffalo is going to hang around all season, but you, you know, month as a chance to either do yourself a huge favor as a team and put yourself in a good spot heading into February where there's the big roster with the deadline and stuff, or you can have another 500-ish month and then you're just kind of in the same middling position once February rolls around. So they can take advantage of this stretch of home games. They could be, they'll they'll put themselves in a pretty good spot when the month is over. I think that one thing that we learned is how important divisional wins are. Uh, if the standings stay the way that they are, you're going to need every win you can against any team in your division. It doesn't matter whether it's Tampa or whether it's Ottawa. You're going to need all of those. So looking at the schedule and the way it's crafted, it's a stretch at the end of March where you're at Florida, at Tampa Bay, home against the Rangers, home against the Panthers, away at Detroit. Having uh, four out of five division games in a row like that, if the standings stay as close and as tight as they are, you're going to need every one of those points against the Floridas and the Tampa Bays and the Detroits of the league. So that would be my important stretch. I would love for them, Dan, to take advantage of all these home games and pull away and really make a name for themselves so that we don't have to worry about that by this point. But – you never know with this team, with the amount of injuries that they've had, the amount of inconsistencies that they've had. I feel like it's going to have to come later rather than sooner. If you're looking as late as you can, that's probably the stretch for me. Um, but it's an, it's certainly an interesting place. We sit here um, in the middle of the season. It's been a weird season for sure. I feel like we can all sit here and go, this was not the team I expected to see at this point, but they've made the most of it. Uh, the last time I was in the locker room, they were talking about how, yeah, they have been, they've been rotating guys in another lineup for so long, but it's all about what they put on the ice, and everybody's role is to go out and get those two points every single night. So we will keep seeing how this team does it. We're 42 games in. We've got to get to game 82 to see how everything rolls out. Thank you guys, both Dan and Sean, for joining me. You can find us all on Twitter. You can go through to Stanley Cup of Chatter's Twitter. You can find us, uh, SB Unsupervised, on Twitter. Uh, We will have this episode up for you as soon as possible. We're going to start to be getting into our weekly schedule again now that we're past the holidays. So keep up to date with all of us here at Stanley Cup of Chatter. Guys, again, thank you so much. As well as our listeners, thank you for tuning in, and have a great evening.